This is Irish Illustrated Insider. I'm Tim Priester with Tim O'Malley. Pete Sampson joins us from The Athletic. It's Thursday, October 28th, two days away from Notre Dame. Number 11 ranked Notre Dame at 6-1, taking on visiting North Carolina, second straight night game. The Tar Heels are 4-3. and three. We just got done uh, speaking with Brian Kelly. Just some of your thoughts, guys, on, uh, well, first of all, it looks sounds like Chris Tyree is definitely ready to go, ready to play this week. He's involved back with the kick return. Uh, but just your thoughts on the safety position, Kyle Hamilton playing the role of assistant coach this week and trying to coach those guys up. But it sounds like there are three guys involved uh, with KJ Wallace and, and maybe Xavier Watts, but that's getting pretty deep into the depth chart. Yeah, I guess wouldn't you both of you be surprised if it went deeper than prior Griffith and Brown? Sure, um, unless it, yeah, yeah, unless yeah. there is unless somebody got injured great. or ejected yeah. for targeting, yeah. um, <laughs> you know, which can happen from time to time. So, I mean, it's it's a it's a weak point of the defense um, that I think played better than any of us expected last week. Uh, I will be interested to sort of see how North Carolina attacks that knowing what's coming opposed to Kyle Hamilton getting injured after eight snaps. Right. And you, you sort of have your entire game plan built around avoiding Hamilton or trying to manipulate Hamilton or not getting overrun by Hamilton. When that's not a threat, it certainly is a, it's an advantage for North Carolina beyond the fact Hamilton's not there knowing Hamilton's not there and how you attack those safeties is like a, pretty much where I, I think this game will be if North Carolina wins it, that's, that's how they're going to win it. Yeah. I, I agree with all that. And remember they have film on the two safeties against them from last year. Cause that was the, the even more remarkable stop was that they held, they shut out North Carolina last yeah. year with Griffith and, and Brown. That was never could have conceived of that. Um, yeah. I think that's, I mean, the secondary with Hamilton, I wouldn't call it a weak spot, but it was where you're going to attack anyway, because there's other places to attack and he had to make up for them, and now he's out there to make up for them. So it, you're adding points to North Carolina. As soon as Kyle Hamilton went down, points were put on North Carolina's resume for that game. There's, I can't imagine any other way of looking at it. Yeah, I guess I'm looking at uh, at, and maybe I'm hoping for prior to be a really quick study back at his old position where he can come yeah. in and make a significant contribution. But I, you know, I would agree it's those three. And it's still more likely, definitely DJ Brown, because he's played very well in the absence of Kyle Hamilton twice now, and Houston Griffith will likely start. To me, the most encouraging thing was to hear that Xavier Watts would be number five on the list, not so much for this week or even this year, but as a guy that is trending up towards that position when they move into 2022. And we should point out he has a calf strain he's fighting, so... right. Really limit him for playing this week for people that are hoping for that little miracle. Yeah. Um, I, I'm really, I really feel like prior, I think they're going to go with Griffith. I know I read what you wrote in Thursday Thoughts, Tim, and it's, I kind of would like that, but I feel like they're going to go with Griffith and Brown because they're assignment correct and they might lose the assignment correctness with Isaiah Pryor. And sure. No, I totally agree. Then you're just out of tr- you're yeah. trouble. No, totally agree. But it's good to hear that Watts is, is trending in the right direction. Another topic from our conversation with Brian Kelly, Blake Fisher tweeted out, soon yesterday which had everybody believing that he was he's going to be playing sometime in November uh it just doesn't work that way with a 335 pound guy yeah Brian Kelly said he's ahead of schedule but he was behind schedule a couple weeks ago so I don't know how to interpret that exactly other than maybe he's making up ground but it's good to hear that 
it's coming along better, you know, the sooner he can get back to training and conditioning and all those kind of things, lifting, I'm sure he's, he definitely has been doing stuff in the weight room during all of this, but he's not going to play this year. We've, we've known that certainly when you see him right soon, you think, okay, well, maybe something's there that we don't know, but we're not going to see. Yeah. I don't know what it would be. We're, we're not it's going Twitter. to see soon. Right. Yeah, reading reading too much into the tweets of teenagers, it's a fool's errand. I don't know how many times you have to say that, especially when it is one word soon, (laughs) which is so nebulous and so. Even if it's about me, yeah, I mean, it could that that could mean, hey, I'm now about to start walking more. That's exactly that's how I took it. (laughs) I I took it exactly that he is he will become a regular a regular person soon the boots coming off soon i I think that that's probably ultimately what it was that's exactly right and i mean that i just did i stayed away from that thread for that same reason i i I did too let let people enjoy (laughs) themselves for a day but he was not going to be playing (laughs) well now Notre Dame, north carolina the the tar heels and this is something i brought up with brian kelly because you know when i when i saw the stats and heard that sam hall was running more i was picturing more scrambles but they have an entire aspect of their playbook devoted to him in the running game. He'll run, you know, a wildcat, a, a form of wildcat with him taking the direct snap. They'll do QB, QB draws. He's, he's good in the read option. I mean, he may, I think he generally makes good decisions in that. And I said he's Tyler Buckner-like in his ability to run, and I stand by that. He's quick. He's elusive. He's, he runs with power. It's an entire dimension to their offense that they didn't have last year, which they need since they don't have a De'Ami Brown to compliment Josh Downs this year. I was very surprised to see him listed at 220 um, because you've seen Sam Howell in person. He looks tiny. Um, So that was last year when Notre Dame played them. So I don't know if he had just an incredible year in the weight room or, or what, but I, and I was shocked to look at their statistics. I like, was like you, Tim. I just assumed that he's running for his life because their offensive right. line is so bad. Um, but his, if you look at like the proportions of carries for Ty Chandler, their lead running back, and Sam Howell, their quarterback, obviously, it's basically 50 50, which means he's running more than Ian Book ran last year or the year before that. So if you thought Ian Book ran a lot as a quarterback, like Sam Howell is running even more than that, which is kind of a strange turn for a guy that was build as like a number one uh, top or first round pick because that's he's not going to survive in the NFL playing that way yeah, I asked Fosky about him yesterday on Tuesday and the first thing he mentioned was how strong he is he said he had trouble getting him down I think he's he's probably a naturally strong guy if you recall he had in the first quarter when it started to look like North Carolina was going to score a lot of points last season he had a kind of a bit of an escape and he's even Fosky said I sacked him once and I needed help to bring him down he was kind of hanging on by a thread so probably one of those stronger than you think athletes in Sam Howell. And obviously it's paying off the way he's running this year. It's Tim. I thought you asked important questions there. Like, How do you, uh, how do you defend a guy that is going to run that much yet? He's a great passer because you've got to play running quarterbacks a lot, but they don't throw like Sam Howell. Well, and you have to, it, it forces you to play more zone because in man, your, your corners are going to turn their back to the line of scrimmage and, with, with the variety of ways in which they have him run the football, you know, you have to be prepared for that. He has 494 yards rushing, and that's with 27 sacks. He's rushed for nine, 
uh, essentially he's rushed for 100 yards three of the seven games uh, that they played. So it's an interesting dynamic. Um, you know, on the flip side, North Carolina's defense, I think, is really going to have their hands full with Tommy Reese's offense, the diversity of it. What I saw on film last year from North Carolina is what I'm seeing on film this year. They're unprepared many times when the football is snapped. You have DBs pointing fingers at one another for blown coverages. I, how does Jay Bateman remain as their defensive coordinator after this season, after what they've done the last two years? Now, he's co-defensive coordinator. I don't know much about the other guy. But they're a disaster defensively at times. And, I've, you know, I've gone on and on about their safeties. And they do have a really – I really like the one safety that's emerged this year, Conley, number zero. But the other guys are a disaster. They're terrible. <laughs> I, I mean, they, re- they really are. And that's the position that Bateman coaches, the safeties. I was – I mean, I'm interested in this one of the questions I asked to Brian Kelly. It's like now that you have uh, – you have sort of declared this is how we want to play offense the rest of the way. Like, is there a, a counterpunch you have to be prepared for? And, you know, it's kind of like, not really, um, you know, people play tempo all the time, but I do think it, it matters a little bit this weekend. If you're going against a secondary that's ill-disciplined, can't line up, blows coverages, and then you're going against a team that plays fast, like that, you really don't have much of a chance if you're North Carolina to have this be a, a game where you get right defensively because um, Notre Dame is going to sort of tempo you into making that an impossibility. Yeah, there's there's two things I thought were interesting when it was response to you there. Everybody's used to tempo now, but you make a good point that this would that would be the biggest surprise of the game, North Carolina getting right defensively in this game. That's yeah. a 38-35 shootout is not a shock. A no. 17-13 slugfest in nice weather would be an absolute shock in this matchup. Yeah, and I really think, you know, and I, I didn't, I didn't preach about this because I've said it so many times this year, but Reese's play calling in the first half against UCLA or USC was so diverse. Um, this North Carolina defense is not going to handle it very well. And I'm not sure the 38 is giving Notre Dame enough credit, frankly. I don't want to overplay it because they, they have a lot of empty drives, even even USC no, empty a, drives. Yeah, yeah, I don't want to yeah they yeah. Notre Dame's yeah. offense hasn't arrived. They right. they need to string right. some things together but when I couple with couple the fact that what they've done the last couple weeks or at least the last five quarters I should say um with with North Carolina's offense uh, I I think there's a lot of points to be scored here by Notre Dame and vice versa to some extent certainly without Kyle Hamilton I think it's worth noting that even though they're not getting sacked anymore Cone's not getting sacked as much that that did ruin the drives when he was sacked the three times in the last two games it's that's tough for this team to come back from still um, I, you know, they're, they're more used to it. Like Pete, you mentioned on Monday, there's a lot of too many third and eights, still too many third and sevens to, to say they've arrived. They are getting a little more used to calling plays from that. Uh, you still never want to be there, but it's yeah. when you mentioned Tim 38, not enough. I, I, I know what you're saying, but it's like, they have so many empty drives compared to what yeah, we're I used agree. to from Notre I Dame. But, I don't want to get ahead of myself yeah. there, but I think the potential is there if they can be even more efficient, um, eliminate some of those empty drives and take advantage of the shortcomings that North Carolina has defensively. Segment two coming up, burning up the boards. The Indiana Whiskey Company in South Bend, Indiana delivers great whiskey at honest prices. Founded in 2011 by Notre Dame alumni and military veterans, the company set out to prove that Indiana has everything needed 
to make a world-class whiskey. The Indiana Whiskey Company has been producing whiskey, and only whiskey, for eight years running, and they want you to know they're getting pretty good at it. If you are in town for a game, visit the distillery for some pre-game cocktails and a bottle of whiskey for your tailgate. For more information, go to ionwhiskey.com. Cheers, and go Irish! Segment two, burning up the boards, starts with a question from Terry Benedict. Marcus Freeman did a great job of figuring out who the Notre Dame defense is. Who is the Notre Dame defense without Kyle Hamilton? Less multiple. I mean, it's like, yeah, less multiple and a lot closer to average. It's just, <laughs> that part's worse. You're right. That's Well, I mean, it's just like, look at the back seven now. And I think it's like even Hamilton, like, let so many other players get sort of a free role sometimes because yep. he was the one that had to be accounted for. So, you know, how does the lack of Hamilton impact, not just the safety position, but like linebackers and coverage, um, you know, what the corners have to deal with, you know, with shots deep over the top, because I mean, if you remember the pit, the second pick at Florida state, that dude was wide open. Nobody else on this roster or in college football right. makes that play. That's an explosive. That could be a touchdown if it's properly thrown. Um, so, yeah, just, man, I think, Tim, you asked this of Mayer the other day, just about, like, you know, does everyone else have to step up their game? Like, mm -hmm. other than Isaiah Foskey, I'd say, like, the other 10 guys on defense all yeah. have to play a lot better, particularly everybody in the back seven. Well, I still think this is, I mean, defensively, it, it always was and still is a front seven driven defensive line driven defense. So, yeah. I mean, that's still their greatest asset. And, you know, it would be better if Howell wasn't running as much as he was. It would be a lot better. But that's still the strength of their defense. Foskey's and, and MTA are playing their best football. You still have that depth and talent in the middle of the line and your linebacker core is very experienced, if not getting worn down a little bit. It is the strength, but I want to bring you back to our first conversation this August. And I was either you or I asked Marcus Freeman about this. I think it was you, Tim, the usage of Hamilton. That's the greatest weapon we have is that you can use him in so many different ways. And when you have a type of athlete like that, he can do so many different things with our tools. He gives everybody else more tools. Gosh, it's one of the greatest things I can have as a defensive coordinator because I can put him in so many positions. He just erases so many things like, uh-oh, they have the edge. No, they don't. There's Kyle Hamilton. Well, <laughs> I mean, he's he's absolutely right. And and I, you know, you talk about roles changing and adjusting. I mean, can can they afford for Houston Griffith just to stand back there and play center field while Kyle Hamilton, you know, would clean everything else up? Yeah, I, I don't yeah. I don't think so. And so that's why you wonder if the background uh, of Isaiah Pryor at safety can come into play. Um, DJ Brown, <laughs> all of a sudden we're, we're looking at DJ Brown as, as a stopper. And he's, and look, to his credit, what he did at North Carolina last year and what he did last week against USC is significant. But now he walks into the starting role and the, yeah. and the pressure on him is much greater and the responsibility on him is much greater. I've been pretty hard on Griffith, obviously. Um, but he does – he's in the area. He just – he's not physically making the plays. I think DJ Brown is in the area, and he has physically made the plays, and now he's got to do it for 70 snaps. And it, it's going to be a uh, a trial for him. I think, he, I think he was in a great role, DJ Brown, and that's why we liked DJ Brown because it's, he's in the correct role. It's just good for Notre Dame that De'Ami Brown does, does not play for this team anymore. And Coffrey Brown – 
um, his younger brother, what um, he's in the portal. That, yeah, I mean, according I to thought, Greg Barnes from our North Carolina side, he's in one the of the reasons why I thought that North Carolina's receivers would continue to to roll along was because I knew Josh Downs was good, and I expected Coffrey Brown not to be maybe as good as his older brother, but that he would fill right in and be that guy. And, um, you know, they have their two other wideouts, Antoine Green, Emery Simmons, they're averaging like 23 yards a catch, but they've only caught 11 passes. So there's still a deep threat, still have the ability to, to put pressure on uh, deep on a guy like uh, Griffith, but they're a little bit one dimensional with their receiving core right now. Next from Patrick Quinlan. Are you confident the defense will be able to keep Sam Howell in the pocket and not give up back-breaking third and long scrambles, a la Braxton Burmeister from Virginia Tech? I am absolutely not confident that they can do that. I'm not confident many defenses can do that. Right. I, you know, I brought that up in the past at Ian Book. I'm sure a lot of a lot of teams felt, well, if we could just stop Ian Book, and most teams couldn't. But uh, Howell's really good at it. I, I, I kept, I kept watching film. It's like, I, I can't believe that this guy is as advanced as a runner as he is. And I, they have an entire segment of their playbook devoted to him running the football. So that's going to be difficult. I asked Brian Kelly about zone and man and, and you play a little bit more zone, but you know, that, that, that loosens up the coverage a little bit. It's good to have Cam Hart who's been doing a really, really good job on the field side of things. Uh, but How's going to run, man? He's going to run. He's going to get some yards. I mean, if you want a sobering way to look at this, uh, Kyron Williams is averaging one and a half yards more per game rushing than Sam Howell. <laughs> He's had more 100 yard. Yeah, he had a 98 so, yard. Yeah. yeah. yeah you're, not, you're not just going to like stop a guy averaging 75 yards rushing a game to, to zero. I mean, some of those will happen on third down. Um, yeah. There's going to be a couple scrambles where you you he picked up nine on third and eight, which is the most annoying gain in football if you're a defensive coordinator. But he's that's that's just going to happen. I think it's you you take your chances playing coverage a certain way, and then they they will get you a couple times. But that's you just sort of have to live with that. From old hound dog, why did it take Brian Kelly and Tommy Reese so long to go to a passing game that has Jack Cone getting rid of the ball quickly? This was an obvious solution to him being creamed in the pocket that many of us myself included, have been begging for for weeks? It's a, a few people have asked this, and it's a legitimate question. And, and, you know, right after the Virginia Tech game, we were using the phrase one, two, three, throw. You know, that, I mean, that was pretty obvious after what happened in the fourth quarter. But, you know, I mean, I tried to look at this, and you try to be fair. Obviously, you want to be fair to Kelly and Reese because they know a 100 times more than we know about this. But, you know, a couple things, okay? Nordin went into the season in more of a downfield frame of mind with their passing game because they weren't sure whether they could run the football. And so they needed big chunk plays to help compensate. Um, you know, I'm sure they didn't anticipate averaging five being sacked five times a game through the first four games. And I'm sure they anticipated that improving as they went from week to week. And now it has, they were four and through the first four games. And so you don't, like to make drastic changes. I would venture a guess that if Chip Long was still the offensive coordinator, the guy that suggested that they go to Ian Book or, or encouraged Brian Kelly to, to go to Ian Book, that there might be more likely of a change with Chip Long, um, you know, as an offensive coordinator. But 
it's not, I mean, it's just not as easy as we make it look. And it is easy in retrospect to look back at it and say, you know, they should have done this a long time ago. And I understand why, why people would come to that conclusion and have that opinion about it. I asked Brian Kelly this question last week. I said, do you think this trial and error with Jack Cohn was necessary to get to the point where we are? And he was like, yeah, I, but the quote was, I would have liked to have been smarter and not have to have gone through this. Um, so I think that Brian Kelly, in some ways, agrees somewhat with old hound dog. Um, yeah. That they should have got to this faster, but they now they've got to it. Um, is this the reason that they're six and one and not seven and oh? I, I don't think so. But um, it is it's an important, uh, I think, adjustment and learning process for Reese and Kelly moving forward. Yeah, it's probably why they won't be something in three. I agree with you that they'd still be six and one. But uh, if they didn't make this adjustment, I'd be really concerned that yeah. going forward, they'd be scoring points. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I, I, just, I just want to make the point that there are other factors. You know, we, we can sit back and say, oh, play up tempo. There are a lot of other factors involved uh, in, in, in making that decision. But in retrospect, I get it. I certainly get it. I, I said I had the same question myself. But what, what did I say? It wasn't, right. It's not like they split the atom. No, exactly. This isn't the, they're not the first team to roll out this new attack. You can't understand. That was like, I mean, sort of a a unintentional offshoot of my question to Brian Kelly today about like, you know, what's the counterpunch for teams knowing you play tempo. It was like, well, everyone plays tempo. It's not that complicated. Well, it's not that complicated. Like (laughs) maybe they were just so, I mean, they clearly didn't want to play Temple last year because they could completely dictate the game how they wanted the whole game to go when they had the ball. Yes. But they knew they couldn't do that this year. So, it, it you know what? Old Hound Dog's right. They should have gone to that sooner. Let's We could be as fair as we want, but well, I think it's pretty clear they should have gone to this sooner because how about Jack Cohn's best moments prior? Like, he was terrible against Toledo, and then he comes in and he one drive where they are. I, I know hurry up at the end of the game is different, but he looked awesome. Yeah, he's better when he can. I mean, there's no doubt he's better that when, when he can just be decisive and make a throw. And then the second thing is when they go up tempo, it allows Tommy Reese to change change the play at the line of scrimmage. And Brian Kelly said the other day yeah. that, um, you know, that was the first time that they really allowed him to, to make changes based upon who was in the box. Well, they had time to do it with the yeah. play clock because, uh, yeah. I don't want to belabor it, but it's also it's also comes out of this. He's good up tempo one two three, and he's actually quite poor at the position when they're when he's not. When Jack Cohn is dropping back and letting things develop around him, and that pocket collapses. There's a very very slim chance he's going to complete a pass while that pocket is collapsing. Well, true, but I also think that this sets them up now that you're seeing an uptick with the offensive line and pass protection that it will allow them to be to not always be quick pace up tempo. Or, or, or I should say one, two, three throw, but, you know, maybe scan a little bit and, and push the ball downfield, which is the whole intention of the offense going into this year compared to compared to last. From way to go, K-Man, better duo, Slovis and London or Howell and Josh Downs? I would say Howell and Josh Downs is more dangerous from the standpoint that Downs has scored in eight straight games. And you know, he's more of a, a breakaway threat, whereas there's a reason why London plays underneath because he doesn't have great speed. So, I mean, they're, both of them are paying a butt and both of them have ways of keeping your defense on the field. But for, as far as just explosiveness and big playability, I think it's, 
it's Howell and Downs. Plus, Howell can run it too, so that adds another dimension. Yeah, I'd, I'd go Howell and Downs, especially because Drake London didn't even impact the game last weekend. <laughs> yeah, not, nothing to do with it, right? <laughs> if people know what we're talking about, that was a, that was a curious quote from. Uh, I know Brian Kelly was trying to make a point post game. I know like, what he's trying one, to say. It was, it was great though. He didn't even impact the game until that play. I was pretty much and, that's the only guy I remember what? from the game, honestly, coach. <laughs> yeah, no, that's very true. But the stat was other than a forty-four yarder, he averaged nine yards yeah. per catch. So, yeah, no, no, it was. You know, I, 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 I get where he was coming from, but I, I'd say Howell and Downs are. It's Howell and Downs because Howell is so much better than Keaton Slovis. Slovis right. is not as good as I thought he was when he was a freshman coming in here. It seemed like he was just a quarterback that came in and played. How, I mean, it's Howell as a runner too. Like, yeah. Yeah, that's, that was a dangerous that's the part game. of it that makes it incredibly complicated if you're Notre Dame. CMU Pens fan, is Sam Howell's drop-off a product of losing talent from last year, or has he been quiet? <laughs> Where am I? <laughs> or has he taken a step back in his development? I mean, he lost a lot of I mean, talent last what, year. They, they lost their top two receivers and their top two running backs. Um and I believe I don't know if all of them got drafted, but at least yeah. three. I believe three of the four did. Um, um, Deami Brown was in the third round. Daz Newsom, who I always saw was a little overrated, but he went in the sixth round. Uh, maybe I thought he was overrated because I knew Josh Downs was really good and he would be able to fill right. that gap. Um, yeah, <laughs> uh, it's just like well, I mean, here's another way to look at last year. Josh Downs was a number three receiver, right? Um, yeah, freshman. Yeah, he's number freshman one, and too. they don't they don't have a number two, and they don't have a number three. Well, that's the thing. Um, it's kind of like you could almost go back to Notre Dame last year. My point is they're missing Bo Corrales, who is a very good wide receiver for North Carolina. He's been hurt most of the year. It'd be like, what happened to Notre Dame? Why aren't their weapons as good? Well, Kevin Austin wasn't playing last year when he was supposed to be. Remember? You were like, all of a sudden, yeah. what happened to Notre Dame's like, receiving car? Well, they have two guys, but they're supposed to have three, and now they don't. And it's kind of yeah, well, they, it's like there. they lost Chase Claypool. Uh, Miles right. Boykin in here. Like, why, why do you think Ian Books only threw 15 touchdown passes? They don't have NFL receivers to throw to anymore. Yeah. Well, and they had 33 rushing touchdowns for crying out right. loud. I mean, yes. you're, you're going to you're going to plow your way into the end zone when you have the opportunity to do it. And that, and that's why, you know, the last two weeks, Notre Dame has five rushing touchdowns. The first five weeks, they had four, and that that's good. That's a good thing. That's the way you want it. You want your offensive line winning at the point of attack. They look like an offense. I can't stress that enough they didn't they had nothing they had they looked like nothing you you couldn't hang your hat on anything for Notre Dame's offense until the last game and the game in three quarters because when Buckner came in second quarter of Virginia Tech you could hang your hat on the running game um but this is it's a lot more fun to watch too and I think that's the most important thing for my enjoyment is I my not delicate sensibilities aren't offended by their offense anymore and I don't really look. I don't really look at Sam Howell as a drop off, maybe in terms of touchdown passes, but as far as overall effectiveness playing the quarterback position, I think he's more dangerous now because of the the ability to yeah. run or the decision to run him. Irish Gambler asks: Can the Irish defense maintain pressure on Sam Howell throughout the game? Yes. I mean, this is like if Notre Dame safeties play well, it will be because they didn't have to make very many plays yeah, because Sam Howell yeah. was running for his life. By you know, chased by MTA and Foskey and Adam Alola and the rest of that group. I think it's. Uh, I mean, they're going to everybody pressures Howell. He, they're as I said on Monday, they have uh, only Tennessee has given up more sacks among Power Five teams, and that's because Tennessee has an extra game against Alabama over North Carolina. So they've given up 27 sacks. He will get sacked and he'll be pressured. But I, the, one of the questions today with Brian Kelly is at what cost? 
they do have to maintain the rushing lanes. They didn't have to do with Keaton Slovis and some other guys. I mean, they've played, they've played mobile quarterbacks. So that helps but not, not mobile quarterbacks that throw like this. So there will be, yeah. a, there will be a cost to pressuring him, but it's, it's not like you have a choice. You're not going to sit back without Kyle yeah. Hamilton You're willing and play to pay it. preponderance of coverage, right? You pay the price. Right. And Notre Dame's linebackers come up and come up and pursue oh, yeah. really well so that, you know, they're going to have to be on their game, but he, it's just astonishing to me. He, he's been sacked 98 times in 32 games, 98 times in 32 games, 27 times in seven games this year. And when you look at the North Carolina offensive line, you think, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a big group. They average over 320. They're kind of, you know, when I watch them, they want to do all their pass blocking with their upper body and their hands, and they don't want to move their feet. They want to set their feet to do it. And that is, is, and a reflection of the size of that offensive line, but they're vulnerable as heck. You know, it's um, Notre Dame fans. We everybody talks about the left tackles. Then the four left tackles is probably the most incredible aspect of any injury at one position anywhere. But inside Carolina, as Greg Barnes mentioned, that their center position is just as messed up as Notre Dame's left tackle position, and it's been so bad. They've tried so many options that it affects the entire line, according to him. Like other guys are actually playing okay, but it is an absolute train wreck at center. And I don't think I've ever read that before that they just can't get center close, yeah. but other guys are doing okay. Well, the, the look how the the poor guard play impacted Patterson through right. the early portion right. of the year too. So it's a there's a correlation there, just a different uh, position. Not Jay Tafel without Hamilton. I guess the biggest mismatch in North Carolina's favor is their wide receivers versus Notre Dame secondary. What is Notre Dame's most favorable matchup for the game? Just Every, talk about it, I think, right? Everything Notre Dame wants to do offensively against North Carolina's defense. I mean, I, mean, I really I potentially yeah, I, I, again, I believe against whoever wants to block them. Yeah, I thought the defensive line right. would go would really have a good day. But Tim, you're right that scoring points is the key. So I think you're right, Priester, that when Notre Dame has the ball, it's a major advantage for them. Just uh, avoid those empty, empty possessions. You know, and that's I mean, over the course of a of a course of a game, you know, against USC, Nordenham had what seven or eight possessions, you know, and that's why I say the total yardage is a little bit deceiving. They're going to have more possessions in this game. Yeah, um, I don't. There's, I don't think there's any doubt about that. I like the last game. It was easy to chart, easy to watch film. We talked about it too in the fourth quarter. Like, man, this is going to fly by when I try to chart this game. There was like fifteen total possessions, fourteen total possessions. Yeah. From TJ O'Malley, not me. How impressive is it that Joe L, the three-star freshman, is the starting left tackle at Notre Dame? Really impressive. Yes. <laughs> and, and, you know, I think when he signed with Notre Dame, I, everybody in the group felt like they had signed a four-star talent. I mean, they knew that this was a guy that was going to trend up. Now, trend up this quickly? Yeah, I think, again, in August, they knew, you know, that they had a really good player. We had another question. I didn't use it, but it was like, well, you know, why didn't they get to him sooner? Well, because you don't know exactly how a freshman is going to react in the game situation. And you want to give Tosh Baker an opportunity to win it. You want to give Michael yeah. Carmen the opportunity to win it. You don't, you know, you can't alienate. Sometimes when I hear the way people want to throw away, not that those guys are older per se, but they want to throw away players when they struggle a little bit. You can't do that, man. You you have to cultivate the talent that you have. You don't have to use Brian Kelly's words. You don't have a waiver wire to turn to. So you want to give the you always want to give the older guys the first crack at it because they're stronger having been in the program. 
They've taken way more reps on, on the practice field. Uh, but Joe Alt's really good, and he's going to get even better. That's last on the list of of things Brian Kelly should have gotten to first. Joe Alt. Nobody thought Joe Alt should be in here starting four weeks ago. You didn't think that. It's incredible how well he's doing. I mean, once it became once it came to the point like, well, everybody keeps getting hurt. It's got to be Alt. By then, people were like, well, sure, it can't get worse. But that's all we were saying is yeah. sure it can't get worse. It's gotten a lot better. It's that's much different than yeah, it's, way better than we thought he was going to be. When Joe Alt played tackle against Wisconsin, it was not good. So like, right, right. I don't want right, to sit here right. and pretend like it's like his first snaps were last week. Right, uh, he was no. hesitant. He was doubting himself, which of course, which of course, he would be, be doing. Yeah, absolutely, I, Tim. You. Like, it's not like it's not healthy. It's really impressive that Joe Halt is ready to play college football. It's not healthy for Notre Dame that they have to do this, though. Right, right. Now, to, hey, Tim, share with everybody. Uh, I, I believe it was the question I asked him about Alton communication because Brandon Kelly said he communicated yeah. really well, which for a true freshman starting for the first time, he's communicating. Can, uh, share with That's everybody crazy. what Christophic's response was to that question. So we're, we had Christophic on Tuesday, and of course people ask him about about Alt because he's a unique specimen. <laughs> Even Isaiah Foss, he's like, man, I looked at that dude. He's like, he's going to be good. This was his first thoughts. He said that Joe Alt, communicates so well that there's never a surprise. He knows exactly what's about to happen because Joe Alt, who remember was playing the other side as an 18 year old freshman is so good at the job communicating. I mean, you think of this for like a 22 year old, Joe Alt communicates everything he sees out there. And he said, he's extremely loud. He's, you know, he's boisterous in what he's doing. So we know exactly what's going on. And Tim, you followed up. You're like, is that what you did at tackle the Christophic? He's like, no, 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 no. I did not have a voice. Like that, and he's an obviously. I mean, this obviously comes from his dad and his yeah. being around football forever. He's just a natural tackle, and I think it's really cool that uh, how many people at Notre Dame have like. I do think it's funny. He's obviously the the next guy in line. Where Foskey a couple of years ago, you saw him, and the offensive guys are probably like, "Holy cow, look at that freshman!" Seems like Joe Alt was the one where they're like, "Wow, that guy is going to be an offensive tackle." Yeah. Right when they ran, right when they saw him, and whether he moves the right tackle next year with Fisher coming back or vice versa, I, I I would think that that would make the most sense because I think that uh, Fisher is the most mobile. But does he communicate and see yeah. things as well? Uh, you know, on the left side, which is which is a really obviously a really key position. We'll see. They have plenty of time to work that yeah, out. Yeah, we have plenty of time to work that out. But for the first time ever, I thought of Alt and Christophic working well together could actually make it so Fisher is a more natural fit going to the right side just to start out spring practice and see how it works. Does that yeah. make sense? Yeah, like, sure. It's less of a change. Yeah, it's a great situation to have because I think they're both going to, they both have a chance to be, you know, we still haven't seen, we really still haven't seen Blake Fisher, right? right. you know, in game competition, but I'm sure he's going to be fine and Alt is quickly proving that he's going to be going to be very, very good. Yeah. Go fight, win, go Irish. Which DB is Notre Dame going to match up with Josh Downs this week? Well, I mentioned, and this is why I asked, one of the reasons why I asked Brian Kelly about will they run more zone and they have to because of, because of Howell's mobility. Um, I mean, typically speaking, and they will move Josh Downs around, but typically speaking, he's a slot receiver, and that generally falls on the responsibility of your nickel, and that's where Tariq Bracey comes in. And it would have been fun to have Kyle Hamilton over the top of that because I asked Brian Kelly, what do you do to defend a, a slot yeah. receiver as opposed to Drake London who stands on the left side and dominates a game? Downs moves around a lot because it's not like slot can't move either. I mean, slot. Drake London was on the left side 
that was it. Left outside. Josh Downs can move around. He's he's available for the jet sweeps, right, left side slot, and, and he can move outside. So a little bit tougher to scheme for, uh, and you throw Kyle Hamilton on top of that, obviously gets even for what, I mean, for what it's worth, pro football focus, I think, makes an attempt to chart where people line up. Right, right. And it's like 96% slot. But slot moves is what I'm saying. Slot yeah. is like, I mean, yeah, you're all over. Left side, but it's yeah. always it's not, it's almost never outside the numbers. And okay, we will uh, we'll conclude before we get to predictions. But our last question is from Denver Maximus, and that is is there any validity or traction to the BK to USC rumors? I don't believe it, but stranger things have happened. What uh, what stranger things have happened? <laughs> well, it's not a rumor. It, it's not a rumor. Kirk Herbstreet said USC should talk to Brian Kelly. It's not a rumor that he might. I was USC, right? Yeah, like, no, I agree. But I mean, you know what I'm saying? It's not a rumor. It, yeah. It's not a yeah. to USC rumor. It was Kirk Herbstreet saying USC should talk to him. Less of a chance for USC next year. BK or Tomlin? <laughs> Tom, uh, actually, no, Tomlin. Is it actually Tomlin? Because he's denied yeah. it. Brian Kelly has not. It's close though. Brian Kelly's not going to USC. That's impossible. It's so impossible. Well, as, as Pete said, what stranger things have happened? I, I wrote it in, to, in Thursday Thoughts here, so I, I'm saying it's not a rumor yet. I'm writing about it in Thursday Thoughts, but um, you should write about Blake Fisher's tweet too. Yeah, that, that too. I, I thought about that, and I thought I'd just leave that one alone for now. But you know, if this was. I mean, clearly, if this was, uh, well, I don't know about that. I don't know if he'd ever, you know, looking at the NFL and going from Northern USC, those are two completely different things. If it was earlier in Brian Kelly's career, I, you know, I don't know, maybe, possibly. Right. Oh, yeah, after 2012 but I just, or something. Yeah, you I, that, but. And, and I, you know, a lot of people will say, well, it's easier to win a national title at USC. Not right now, it's not. So, no. yeah. It's the same I, thing I said about at a much different, I mean, a much greater scale. When Mike Elko left for Texas A&M, the first thing I wrote was Clark Lee will be in the playoffs before Mike Elko. And he's been there twice. Yeah, you know why? It's easier to get there. I mean, yeah. but just it's a lot more money. I'm not blaming the guy for leaving, but it, it's he wasn't closer to the playoffs, and he's still not. Well, he's closer than Clark Lee is now. I'm sorry about that, but he's not closer than, than Clark Lee is a long way away. From have you now. guys seen the story? We'll, we'll jump into predictions, but have you seen the story that Rockney – USC was serious about hiring Rockney and Rockney was serious about it too. And then the, the, the clergy at Notre Dame said, you have a contract and you could get sued. And so that was the end of that. Good for them. But uh, <laughs> you know, there was a time when USC was interested in Rockney and Brian Kelly. Now the guy that has surpassed Rockney on the all-time win list, but uh, none of us, none of us expect Brian Kelly to end up at, at USC. Let's get into predictions, guys. Tim, you go first. Yeah, I already saw Jack Freeman's prediction, and I'm not going to spoil it for anybody, but I am high scoring for Notre Dame here. And uh, without Kyle Hamilton, I, I don't see – I can't see them holding North Carolina under 24 points without Kyle Hamilton. And I think Houston Griffith and D.J. Brown will play the majority of the snaps at safety because their assignment correct. But Houston, they just don't make enough plays, honestly, that Kyle Hamilton does. I think Kyle Hamilton would have erased a touchdown, would have been a weapon against the run. And uh, as Tim said, you didn't think 38's enough. I think that's about where they'll settle, though, in 38-27 for me. 27 makes it a challenging game going in the fourth quarter, though. And I kind of feel like that is what it's going to be. If Hamilton were there, I'd be more on the 38-20 range where they separate. 
Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Not that they would totally stop them because I don't think has a totally stop your defense right now. I think they're just, they make a lot of plays, but they give some up. I'm in the 38-27 range. Uh, could have seen this as the second highest scoring game of the year in the preseason too. Wait a minute. That was both of our predictions last week. And I seriously gave consideration to using the same yeah. score again. I'm not going to, but uh, yeah. I mean, this I think that's why, fair. This is why I like to go before O'Malley in predictions, Tim. <laughs> because <laughs> did, did I take it? <laughs> 38-28. Yeah, well, no, it makes sense. Notre Dame's going to score points and so are they. And we don't think Notre Dame's a 50-point team. And, you know, I don't think they're going to give up 35-point team either, right? No, but I mean, I definitely think Notre Dame needs to get in the 30s to win. Like, yeah. I, I would I would be quite surprised if Notre Dame won 28-24 or 27-21. Like, I, I think it will be – I don't think they're going to have as much – I think pace control of the game as they did last week where, you know, the possessions are up. So the scoring opportunities are up. So I think ultimately the final score will be up too. high scoring, but we thought USC would score more last week too. Of course, Kyle Hamilton was in the lineup at that point when we were making those projections, we appreciate you joining us for Irish Illustrated insider, Tim O'Malley and myself will be in Notre Dame stadium before the game. Samson will be as well. We'll do our uh, we'll do our instant analysis without him this week. You can join and, us, Pete. Uh, Just jump in. We're outside. Yeah. Let, me, let me know when you guys are on. Yeah. We got another night game in Notre Dame Stadium. Looking forward to number eleven Notre Dame against North Carolina. Thanks for joining us.